All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful, beautiful day. And all of your beautiful children that you have brought here together. You said we're two or three together in your name. There you are in the midst. And we thank you, Lord. We don't have to invite you to come. We don't have to believe for you to show up. We don't have to apply the blood to the doors and windows to keep the devil out. We just know that you are here. We're your children. Your word is anointed. I am anointed to do your will and your work. And we are here to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start off by saying thank you to all the veterans everywhere. we have any veterans in here? Yeah, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, it's appropriate, as we are here at the VFW Hall, we want to make mention of that. And, and uh, we do everything we can to always be a support to them and to encourage them. And uh, I have a lot of friends uh, and uh, family, you know, that uh, as probably most of you do, but I minister to some. Anyway, that uh, there's a great need in that, in that realm, you know. You know, we think of the boys that had to go off to Vietnam and was treated so poorly when they came back and stuff. And then I had my great—I um, mean, my grandfather was in the Battle of the Bulge and all that, and they were celebrated. And then my uncles were both in Korea um, and celebrated, you know. But then everything sort of changed in Vietnam. They treated them uh, badly when they came back, and uh, these are just boys that were shipped off on their senior trip, you know, and. Uh, and then there's been a war going on for 20 years now, you know, and, and it's kind of just, you, if you don't try to, you don't really think about it. There's not the newspapers anymore because, well, they're worthless anyway, and, uh, but you just don't get, you know, like in the old days, you'd have the list of all the local boys that were injured and stuff like that. We just don't have anything like that. We have a lot more at our disposal with the internet and everything, but we just, you know what I mean, a lot of times we just don't think about these things until you walk and you see somebody, you know, with no legs or whatever, And but there's just way, way too much of that happened, and we got a lot of really mixed up uh, young men, and so going into this time of year, we really want to think about that, try to encourage somebody if you can. Last week, I said... Uh, Something to the effect that I, I, uh, I serve God. I attend His church. I give to God because I've never, ever gotten over getting saved, and that's a fact. Um, I just I love the Lord because of it, and uh, I just want to ask, and I want to say thank you and hello to all the people all around the world that listen to these messages. We have a lot of other countries that are listening in, and thank you for that. Either today or in the future, if you hear, this is for you, and we love you, and we're praying for you, and all of you around the country, and I know some of you, I hear from some of you, God bless you all, no matter where you are, we just feel like you're part of this, and I pray for you just like I pray for the people here in our midst. But I wonder how many people have that same testimony that I do about the reason why I go to church and serve in the church and give, if it's for the same motivation 
And if it's not, then it may be because you think, even if you really would never admit it or say it, that you have to serve. You're supposed to serve. You have to attend. You have to give in order to get saved or in order to be in good standing or to be approved of God. If you think that, if you think like that, even subconsciously, the Lord just wants you to know it's not true for starters. And, and it may be preventing you from receiving from God the things that he has for you. And on the other side of the coin, from keeping you from doing all the things that you think you're supposed to be doing. If that makes sense or not. See, the law, well, you can put yourself under the law, under a legalistic mindset. And you know what? It won't, it won't compel you. It won't help you to do the things you think you're supposed to be doing. It'll drive you from it. And it'll drive you from God. So you'll do less of the things that you think you're supposed to be doing to earn God's acceptance. Because you'll finally just throw up your hands and say, man, that's, I've tried all that. It's just too, too, too hard. Put yourself in that thing where you think God is just too demanding and too, you know, and, and then coupled with all the hypocrites that you have to put up when you go to church. <laughs> you'll come up with all these things in your mind that are just really wrong-minded. And they'll prevent you from the life. And they'll keep you from the, the life that God has for you. And so I just want to get into this a little bit. And talk to you about these uh, this relationship that we have with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, the relationship. That's what it's really all about. It's not about religion. Religion never saved anybody. Religion puts demands on people. God wants a relationship with you. God loves you. And when you realize that in your heart, in that garden that produces everything for your life, then it will cause you when you make it a personal thing to respond to Jesus in faith, in love, and it will compel you to be a bigger part of the kingdom of God. And then you will crave, you will begin to crave and desire everything about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. Yeah. That's a real thing. I want to go from the book of Revelation today. Don't freak out. It's not a scary book. It's a wonderful book. Good news. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's bad for those who don't know Him. I want to talk to you from Revelation chapter 3. Paul, the revelator, I mean John, excuse me. The Apostle John had this revelation. He, he had this visitation. 
and gave this prophetic word of the Lord. And it was all given to him by the Lord. And the Lord gave him instructions for some churches, seven churches. And this is about one of them, a little bit about one of them, the one in Laodicea. In chapter 3, it starts in chapter 3, verse 14, and it goes all the way through the 22nd verse. But I'm just going to touch on it. And the angel of the and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, he's talking to the pastor. Okay, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So he's talking about Jesus. <laughs> um, and so Jesus is giving them some instructions, just like he does all seven of the churches. He says, "I know your works." He's telling this church, "I know your works." You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you... Let me just translate. I wish... I wish you were one or the other. I wish you were either cold or hot. So, because you're lukewarm... Can I just substitute that with complacent? You just... you just complacent. You think everything's good. You're just fine and... And let me just talk to you about that. Because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I've, I've, I've preached a message on the fence. Remember? <laughs> I've, I've talked about that for years. So we're about mealy mouth fence sitters. I don't... <laughs> I get myself in trouble because I'm a little too, too forward sometimes. But I'm really just trying to provoke people to thought. You know, I don't use this Bible as a set of binoculars to look and criticize everybody else. I use it as a mirror to look into my own heart and my own soul. And from up here in the pulpit, I'm I'm trying to compel you to do the same thing. And that's all the Lord wants to do. And I'm going to get to a, a point that Jesus makes about that here in just a second. For you say, and here's why he, he, he says, I'm going to pitch out of my mouth. That sounds kind of tough. But he says, and here's why. He says, for you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need anything. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, none of them were literally poor, blind, or naked. But he's talking in spiritual terms now. He says, you think you're, you th- think you're just fine and everything is cruising. Don't upset the apple cart. I live in the suburbs. I got my 2.5 kids. I got, you know, I'm, I, I run in the right circles. I don't necessarily dip, cuss, or chew, or go with them that do. Everything is cool. I'm attending church. The reason I use this church example of all the ones, because I don't think it's really you guys. So I like that. So, so don't feel like I'm preaching at you, because I think you're, you're not lukewarm. I think you're on fire for God. Amen. Praise God. So, but listen, just... Just so you'll know, this is Jesus talking, so we need to understand how he feels about something. Amen? Amen. Um, and so, and then he says, here's what I recommend. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may, be, may not be seen. He's talking about 
salvation, the, the, the robe of righteousness, the garment of salvation, all the things that come through this beautiful salvation that he has offered up for free through the atonement of the cross. Amen? Amen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. <clears throat> you know, I heard we talk about the hearing and the, and the vision of God, the spiritual. And listen to this in verse 19. Those whom I love, so he's, he's, he's telling them he loves them, I reprove. That's a, a gentle correction, you know. He said, those who I love, I reprove, I, I discipline. So, so, in other words, so that's you. He said, I'm talking to you because I love you. So I'm trying to gently correct you. So, be zealous. So, catch on fire for me. Don't be lukewarm. And repent. That means just change your mind. About the things I'm talking to you. If you're off course, you, you're going the wrong way. You're going the opposite direction of God. You're not thinking like God about something. And he brings it to your attention. Just say, I'll repent. It doesn't mean you have to get on your knees and grovel and beg and all that. Just say, hey, you know what? I was a little off on that, Lord. I'm going to agree with you. Starting right now. And it might take me a while because I kind of set in my way. Help me with this, Lord. Man, can I just tell you? The best kind of talk and the best kind of prayer you ever have with the Lord is just the kind that you just talk like you would to the amazing best friend that you had that would never judge you and you could come to about anything. You need to talk to him just like you would talk to them because that's how much he loves you. And when you start changing the way you talk and all that, just to approach him, he sees through all that and he's like, what are you doing? I found myself on a stage in Florida with... With a hundred other preachers on our knees, crying out to God and wailing to God and this and that. And, you know, because we were told to. And I remember just going, <laughs> looking around, you know, long enough yet? You know, no, they're still going, okay, oh Lord. <laughs> and I remember him saying, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, what they told us to do. He said, get up and go sit down. <laughs> never remember. I mean, I, I never, it was so clear. I went and sat down. <laughs> Religion will make you do some weird stuff. And God is not weird. He is not weird. All right. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the scripture I'm trying to get to today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, we're talking about your spiritual hearing. I hope you've been praying about it. I know I have. In this season in my life, every day I'm praying and believing for greater spiritual vision, spiritual hearing. I want to hear the Lord clearly. I want to do what He says. I want to hear what He says. I want to be closer than ever. And... That's what he wants for you too. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him or her and he with me. This Jesus was talking to a church, for starters. And the problem was this was a church in which he had not been invited into. <laughs> 
I wonder how many churches in the Western world are in that condition today. I've heard stories and jokes and things like that for many years, you know, about a little boy sitting outside of a church window on the side of the building. He might not have been the right ethnicity or, or whatever. And just listening to the music and and just desiring to be in that church and a part of it. And he sat out there and, and listened every Sunday. But they wouldn't let him in. And the Lord spoke to him one day and said, what are you doing? If you never had the Lord ask you what are you doing, he will. <laughs> and he doesn't, it's not because he doesn't know. <laughs> he wants you to say it. And he says, well, I, I like, I love the music and I, I love the preaching, I, but I, they won't let me in. And the Lord told him, that's all right, son. I've been trying to get in for years myself. And I think that was the church in Laodicea. Unfortunately. The problem is, it's not about the church you go to. A lot of people use that for an excuse. The hypocrites down at church, you know, they got, that's just an excuse. Don't worry about the hypocrites at church. You, you don't want to be in a cell right next to them when you get to hell. They may not know him either. You don't let that hinder you and God. He said, don't forsake the assembling of thyself together. As some have done and gone shipwrecked. The recommendation is don't stop meeting with fellow believers. It's better to be on a leaky boat than swimming all alone out in the ocean with the sharks. Amen. <laughs> You come here looking for problems, you, you, you'll find some. Just look, look at me long enough. But, but we're going to get through this together. Amen. It's really more about the individual. And for the individual, there's only two options. You're either in a relationship with Jesus or you have no relationship with Jesus. And if you have a relationship with Jesus... There's a couple of things the scripture is pointing out. You have to hear his voice. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, you have to hear his voice. And then you have to invite him in. Isn't that what it says? I mean, these are real things. There's nothing in here that doesn't mean anything or it's just you're just saying it to say it. He doesn't mince words. Every word in this Bible means something. You have to hear his voice. That's why we've been talking about cultivating our hearing, our spiritual hearing. And he says, my sheep do hear my voice. So if you say you don't, that just means you haven't cultivated it because I think all of you belong to Jesus. You wouldn't be here in this strange environment to hear the real word of God. Most places that preach the real truth, they're not the most popular. They're not the most... They don't have the thousands. They don't have the, you know, I wish it were the case that people just craved the real Jesus so much that they just, it didn't matter about all that other stuff. The valet parking and the child care and the, you know, everything else. Nothing against anybody. I hope you know that. I say that enough to remind you. So you have to hear his voice. You have to invite him in. 
He's not going to force his way in. He is a gentleman above all. It's a decision. It's a personal decision. You can call it a yielding of your life, of submitting to the Lord, uh, committing yourself to the Lord. Once you do, then a new birth occurs in your life. John 3, 3, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the things of God. So then the Holy Spirit brings that life of Jesus into your life. Amen. Amen. So there's an individual response required of every single person in this world. But once you open that door for him, he will come in. He's been standing there a long time. He, he want, it's his desire to come in. He's not going to hesitate once he's really invited in. Then you need to do some things. Because some of us are so beaten down by the time we finally do this and we feel so condemned. You need to believe that he has come in. Once you open that door and invite him in, you need to believe it. Because why would why? Because he always tells the truth. And right here, doesn't it say if you open the door, if you hear him and you open the door, I will come in. So you have to believe that he's come in. And then you need to thank him by faith. See, when he came in, there's a spiritual change that's taking place, right? That's where the message of you've already got it comes from. And you're, and you're born again spirit. Your spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians 5.23. And you're born again spirit. You have received everything. The kingdom of God. The mind of Christ. You're perfected, sealed, and holy. One third of your salvation is over. But you've got this soulish realm. This personality. Your mind and will and emotions. And this vehicle. This body. But God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's John 424 and he created us in his image so we're spirit too with a soul and a body so now we're trying to convince this soulish realm that we can't we can't determine what's in our spirit with our natural senses which is what our soul is aware of so we have to believe what the word says this word is alive and active it's sharper than a two-edged sword it's able to divide soul and spirit why is that important? Because sometimes what we our emotional life, our soulish realm, we think that's God. Because that's how we feel. Can't help how I feel. Yes, you can. And if it's not doesn't line up with what God says in his word, then you need to understand that he's using that sword, this sword of the word of God to divide your spirit and soul and to show you where your soul is not in agreement with your spirit. And then just agree with him. That's it. And your life gets better right there. In that particular area. Immediately. Now there's residual things in this world. Of course we know that, right? I wanted all my stuff just to be fixed like that. I'm like, wait a minute. He said everything's new. <laughs> well, I'd open a lot of doors for that old devil. And I had to give the Lord some time. To get me in agreement with him and speak the word, speak life, and believe some for some crop failure from all those bad seeds I'd planted. 
But now he was working with me and in me, and I was very glad. And I began to thank him that he had come in and saved me. I thank him. I welcomed him in. Thank you, Lord, by faith that that you've come in and that that you saved me and that I've been born again. As you thank him, it becomes more and more real in your own heart, you see. And that's what's important in your soul because now you're trying to endeavor, you're endeavoring, you're trying to enter into a life of faith and you're going to need a little more confidence than what you came with to the table. And he wants you to have it. It's already real in your spirit, but you have to believe it. And then confess your faith. Confess it. Go tell others. You think of that song, I'm going to start playing pretty soon. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. You don't have to you don't have to go get you the biggest, blackest Bible you can find and tote it around under your arm now. And go preach to everybody. Might not be a good idea, matter of fact, for a little while. But what you can do is say, hey man. I, I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. Some of the cats you run with, that's going to be the best sermon they ever heard in their life. That's going to give them the courage to respond to the things they think they've been hearing as he's been drawing them toward him. Trust me, there are people in your sphere of influence that no one else will ever, ever reach but you. And don't try to get fancy with it. Just speak from your heart. Keep it simple. Just tell them what's happened to you. That's a good idea. Then, what's the promise? He says, you invited me in. You heard me. You opened the door and invited me in. Now I'm going to come in and eat with you. And then, and you, and you with me. So, But first, everything is in order in the Bible for a reason too. Because that's the order of things. First, he's going to come in and eat with you. It's a type here of a meal. You can picture it in your home. You know, if I don't know, it's hard to go by some of these things because they're things of the past almost nowadays. People don't sit down at the table and have dinner. I know I've given up on that. You know what I do? I catch them all in the kitchen before they can fill their plates. And I say, hold on, right here. And we pray right there in the kitchen. Because I know that's just really my only opportunity. I'm not going to get them all to sit down at the table like we used to. I, you know, maybe if, if I had, you see, because now, I mean, if I, if, if Tavana and I had known how to love each other when we were kids and got married right out of school, like we wish you had, or instead of our, uh, what, trouble, 19th anniversary coming up. This next week on the 20th, it would have been like our 40th anniversary, right? <laughs> Close to it, but it wasn't. And because of that, we're broken and blended and all those other things. And uh, you, and it's hard to, you know, now if we had done it right, if we had known God's way and been cooperating with God all that other time, we would have raised our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It would have been normal for them to pray. We would be sitting at the dinner table and every, it would be comfortable and normal for us to be talking about God and the things of God. But let's face it, it's not like that in every household in this country. It's not likely to be that way anytime soon. 
The devil has come at the family and he's come at it hard. And he's using the government to reward broken families, you see. Nevertheless, we need to do what we can. So he's going to eat with you. And what they, what he's implying here is, is just a spirit of hospitality that you're, that you're offering out to the Lord. Of warmness uh, to, to, to show him uh, that, you, that you want him there. To make him feel wanted. To make him feel welcome. And, uh, and, th- and just share everything that you have with Jesus. Amen. That's the idea. Because, and that's first. People say, well, as soon as he starts giving me everything he's got, then I'm going to be glad to share back with him. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And that's why it's in this order in the book. You open the door. You invite him in. You make him feel welcome. You let him know that he is very important and everything that you have is his. Amen. Amen. That's first. And then he will share his dinner with us. Yeah, this is where it gets good. You see, the end goal is relationship. That's what the end goal is with everything to do with God and with your salvation. Relationship, fellowship, a life of sharing together. The Greek word is koinonia with a K. It means communion or association, a partnership, a fellowship. To have things in common, you see. A friend, a real friend. John 17, 3, one of my favorite scriptures, Jesus just gives the definition of eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 1 John 7, 3, John says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Talking about Jesus, the word of life, the person of life. They were with him. Then they realized he was the word made flesh. He was God. And they said, so we proclaim this to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. So the the goal is to have the fellowship of the apostles, which is fellowship with God and the son, Father and the son, Jesus. And John 17, 10 says, Jesus says, all that is mine is, is yours, and all the yours is mine. He's talking to the Father. And I'm glorified in, in them. So he's saying everything that he has, he's sharing with us now. And everything that's the Father's is his, and, and we're his. And now we're in him, and everything he has is ours. Amen. You see, it's just a big circle. So knowing God, fellowshipping with God, and everything regarding this relationship in this life begins with a faith response. Just a faith response. Uh, to, And then it goes on like that. Because it continues on. Faith to faith to faith. So our faith response is to what? A truth that we find in here. And we believe it. And we, we respond in faith. Oh, by Jesus' stripes, I was healed. 
Doctor said, oh, but I don't live by sight. I live by faith. Jesus said, by his stripes I was healed. If I was healed, I remain healed because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for one, he'll do it for me. He's no respecter of persons. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm not going to settle for anything less. I'm releasing my faith to go out and retrieve those things provided by grace through the atonement of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to settle until I see the manifestation. But I'm believing I already have when I prayed what I prayed for because I know that I prayed the will of God. And if I pray the will of God, I know that He hears me and that I have the petitions of my heart. Amen. Amen. So it's a faith response to a truth, to a promise, to a provision of God. And it always motivates or requires our sharing with Him first. It's a spiritual law that's at work. This law of faith. And it pleases God. I want to look at a great example of this in 1 Kings. Let's go back to the Old Covenant. Jesus said all of the all of the teachers about me, they'll, they'll take from the old and the new. He's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. So any preacher that tells you you don't need the old covenant anymore, don't listen to him. You just need to read it differently now. Because the blank page between Malachi and Matthew made a huge difference. Okay. <laughs> First Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 16. 17, verse 7 through 16. This is a story that Jesus mentioned, but it's found in the Old Covenant. He was referring to a story about Elijah. Elijah. Verse 8, chapter 17, 1 Kings, the widow of Zarephath. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, he had had a lot of great successes in ministry and, and man, did some amazing things. And if I get started on that, I'll, I won't quit. So I'll just say he was a very powerful prophet of God. He did some amazing works and things for God. And then, and then he was just, he, he was about to give up. And the Lord had to encourage him a little bit. And it says that he had been, he had been by the brook, where the ravens fed him and everything, and then the brook dried up after a little while. You see, you can't go by what God told you to do before. You need to go by what He's telling you to do now. If you still had what he, done what He told you to do before, you need to go back and do that. If you're not hearing God, I can't hear God, I don't know what He wants me to do. What's the last thing He did tell you to do? Uh, this or that? Uh, did you do it? No. Come back after you do We'll talk some more. So, but anyway, he tells him, Then the word of the Lord came to him, to the prophet. He said, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, this is the middle of a drought. The whole land was in a drought, and there was a famine. 
So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In other words, this is it. We're out of everything. And we're at the end of uh, our road. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, look at this. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elisha said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elisha. Pretty humbling for this amazing, powerful prophet of God to go to a little widow woman who's just about to eat her last meal with her son and say, give me some first. <laughs> wow, that'd be hard to do, man. But he knew he heard God. He believed God. And it was like a test. It's like a test. But God sent him all the way there because he knew the woman's heart. He knew that she would respond in faith. That's what was required. Could have sent him anywhere. There were people everywhere dying of starvation. He said, go to this widow woman's house. He needed, God needed someone to go and solicit this seed of faith from this woman that would provide a harvest of blessing for both of them. Amen. And thankfully, she did respond in faith. So she, her son, the prophet, they never lacked during the whole famine in the land while everybody else was going hungry and starving to death. Even in Israel. Because of her step of faith. The prophet acted in faith, and so did the widow, and the results were blessings and provision all around. Amen. So, turn the table and look at us in light of this picture and in light of the scripture from Revelation 3.20. It needs to be the same with our response to Jesus, yes. is what I'm telling you today. You need to understand the spiritual laws at work here. Well, you say, well, why does he want me to take from this the little that I have? Faith. He doesn't need your stuff. <laughs> but he wants to give you all that you need. 
And he needs a faith response from you. He needs a seed. He said, I don't have much, Lord. But what I have is yours. Make yourself and everything to do with you available to God. Put it in his hand. He's saying, I trust you more than I trust in the little that I have. I tell people, if what you have isn't enough to make, meet your need, make part of it your seed. Don't eat your seed. Then you'll never lack. And you'll have overflow. One of the churches that I pastored, one of my first times there to minister, there was, there was a couple of, oh, there's a couple there that, different relatives or whatever that fancied themselves as some kind of preachers. Anyway, one of them ministered like maybe before I went up to minister, I think, or something. And they the preached the offering. It's like you, you see in most churches. I was, I see there's a basket back there in the back. If you want to give, give. When God gives you a revelation of the, the tithe, I won't be able to keep you from giving. And when you see this and you believe this, I won't be able to keep you from giving. It's not about me. It's not about, and God doesn't need it. It's just a test of faith, and he's looking for that seed. Nevertheless, this woman told this crowd of people, she goes, now, we're going to take up the offering. She goes, but now, if if you don't have a lot, or if you're struggling to pay, your, don't worry about it. We're, we're not really all about that here. Just, if you have, if you've got your needs met, and you have something that you can... You know, extra, that, that, then thank you, it would be appreciated. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's wrong. I'm sorry. Let me, let me help you out here for a second. <laughs> no. It's not like that. It works like this, like I'm preaching today. Not like she was saying. That sounds right. And to the world, that would be right. To the world, you saying you could do more with 90 cents than a dollar is stupid. To God, you saying I can do more with my dollar than you can do with, if I give you the 10% and keep only 90 of it. <laughs> you know, if, if you said that to God, then that's stupid. The fact is, the kingdom of God works off of the seed. And it's funny that they come back and they say that they... <laughs> Andrew Womack called them dirt bags. <laughs> because he's talking about the garden of their heart and, and, this, and everything's in seed form. And I guess talking about the word of God being planted in their hearts. And that it's a garden, you know. And so he called them dirt bags. But anyway, he's like that. He'll try to provoke you to thought. <laughs> by shock value a little bit um, John 17.10 Jesus said to the Father all I have is yours remember I just read that scripture a minute ago and then he said and then his Father reciprocated and all I have is yours you see, it goes like that. Jesus is our example always, is my point here. Jesus is our example of how we should be with Him, how He was or is with the Father yes. during His life, okay? So, 
Jesus wants us to, to duplicate in our relationship with Him what He has demonstrated in His relationship with the Father in the Gospels, okay? So remember that as you're reading about those things and try to apply it to your relationship with Jesus. You look how He treated His Father. You look how He handled that relationship and then you know how to handle your relationship with Him. Amen? See, as a child to a father, Jesus, always talking about his father, talking to his father. So Jesus showed obedience to his father. He showed respect. He showed trust. You say, well... Obviously, he never met my father. That's SOB. You know, oh, I never met my father either. We all have daddy issues. Some of you may have had a very good daddy. Thank God. I hope that this world will begin to have more and more good daddies. That's part of the problem. Some of our, some of your daddies left way too soon. Some never were around when they were here. <laughs> so, you know, you got all kinds of stories. Some beat the heck out of you. You know, I get it. Need to get over it a little bit, frankly. If Joyce Meyer can get over hers and bring hers into her home and provide and care for him, then the rest of us can. <clears throat> Instead of getting bitter, we can get better by choice. Amen. Yeah. But he looked at his father and he was obedient. He trusted him. He said, my father is bigger. My father is stronger than me. My father will take care of me. Whatever he asks of me, I'm going to do it. That was Jesus' attitude to the Father. And that should be our attitude toward Him. And then the Father's response, because of Jesus' obedience, because of His dedication. See, some of us have lost that childlike faith. But we need to get that. My daddy in heaven, he's like, you know, when you're little, you know, my daddy can beat up your daddy. My daddy can jump tall buildings in a single leap. You know, that sort of thing. You need to have that childlike faith regarding your father in heaven and the way he is towards you amen he created everything his he is a father who is limitless in power and limitless in love and he owns it all he owns the cattle on a thousand hills who said that a while ago and he has authority over everything and he won't even think of withholding anything from me So it would be foolish for us, in light of that, to withhold anything from Jesus. Wouldn't it? I mean, if all this is true, and I encourage you to find out on your own, ask Him. Ask Him to start talking to you in ways that just you know it's Him. Things that you tell other people, man, God talking to me, they're like, oh, okay. But you know it was Him. That's how He talks to you. You know that you're like, whoa. And other people were like, what, dude? God is dealing with me. Okay. But you know it was him. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. And some of you know what I'm talking about, too. You're like, oh, whatever, dude. This is not between you and me. I remember sitting in the middle of a four-way stop on my Harley. Just stopped. And I just went, what? I don't know what you want. But I know it's you, 
And I'm at the end. Some of you had those moments. <laughs> we opened the door. We invited him in. We asked him to dine with us, to share in all that we have, all that we are. Now, we have the standing of relationship with God as children of God. See, now, here's the good part, see? Get to the good stuff. In Romans 8, Paul lays it all out so perfectly and so clearly. We're sons of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. If you're a co-heir with God, then you are heir. You have the same rights. Paul even talks to people as adopted into the family of God. Well, he was talking to the Romans and they knew that the law of that day, of their culture, said that if a slave or anyone else was adopted into a family, then they had the same legal rights and privileges as the natural born child himself. Amen. Amen. Boy, when you listen to this in your car, you shout, don't you? I got people in other countries shouting at this message. (laughs) Romans 8, verses 14 through 18. Listen to this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba in Aramaic and Hebrew is the word for daddy. Daddy. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It's not always going to be a bed of roses. But stay the course. Stay the course. He talks about our future glory. And I'm finishing. As believers, we need to be more concerned with the eternal than the temporal or the temporary. What's temporary? Everything you see. You need to try to get your focus on the eternal. And frankly, the older I get, the easier that is. Yeah. Verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Really, the right word is in us. We heard his voice. We invited him in. We shared everything with him. We withheld nothing. Now Jesus is sharing everything He has with us. We're children of God, co-heirs with Christ, of everything God has. 
It's a fact. You've got to believe it. Yes. You've got to operate in faith to receive it. In this life, I mean, it's, it's a reality already. It's like the guy who booked passage and he'd spent all the money he had saved to come to America back in the days when they used to come through Ellis Island, you know, and change their names because from the town they were Corleone. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he saved all his money just to get the ticket for this chip. And he put some cheese and crackers and whatever he had in a towel and wrapped it up and put it inside his coat. And that's what he lived off of the whole trip. The last day of his passage to before he arrived in America, the steward came to him and who cleaned his room and he says, Why have you never attended any of the meals? Breakfast and lunch and dinner. He says, oh, I spent all the money I had just to buy the ticket to come here. I didn't have any money for that. He says, that was all part of the price of the ticket. <laughs> Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm finishing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. Oh, I'm so glad I'm starting to hear pages turn in here. All right. You know, let me just read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, not chapter 15, okay. Verses 21 through 23. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is yours. Amen. These people were getting in big fights over, uh, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I, I, I follow Peter. Paul came and he said, oh, and then others said, I just follow Jesus. They said, he said, wait a minute, is Christ divided? <laughs> What's going on here? You know, all my heroes, before I knew the Lord, they, they used to be tough guys mostly. They used to train real hard in martial arts and all that stuff. I loved all that kind of crazy stuff. <clears throat> or musicians, you know, rock stars, uh, athletes, stuff like that. All my worldly heroes and friends now are preachers. People that are really dedicated and devoted to the Lord. You know, I mean, I hope you love your pastor. <laughs> and there's a place for all that, you know. But of much greater importance is that you remember who you are. They have, the preacher has no greater standing with God than you do. You are a child of God. He's no respecter of persons. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. Amen. 
That's why Jesus told the parable about, he, you know, he went out, this, work, this guy that owned the vineyard, he went out to hire some people in the morning to work in his vineyard. He, he, made, he made a deal with them. I'm going to pay you a denarius for, for working a day's wage. Okay, cool. And they took him and worked, put him to work. He went back out at noon and there were still guys standing there on the corner. He said, come to work. He put them to work. He, he agreed to pay them for their hiring. And then he went at the last hour of the day and he hired some more people. He said, hey, what are you doing still standing around? And nobody ever hired us. Come on, I'll put you to work. And then he told his foreman at the end of the day to pay the, the guys who got there last and worked just a little while, pay them first. And when they got there, he paid, they paid them a denarii. And the, the guys thought that they'd been there all day, that they were going to get more. And they, and they saw they paid them the same, and they said, wait a minute. He said, he said wait a minute, what are you talking about? Didn't, didn't I tell you I would pay you so much to work a day's work? Yeah, and didn't I? Yeah. So then, why, are you jealous? What, what, what's wrong? I can't, can I be a blessing to them with, with my money if I want to be? It's my money, I can do what I want. In other words, the same reward, you know, if you, if you were raised in the church and you're blessed and you have a blessed life because of it, and you, you should be thankful. That's good. You had parents who raised you up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, which was their only responsibility with you, to be honest. Most of us didn't know that's what we were supposed to do. We didn't know the Lord ourselves. So what I hated the most and despised was being a child that didn't know his daddy. I became one of those. Things I said I'd never do. Cause more brokenness and pain and heart. You know. But. The fact that I came in late. I still get the same reward as those who were raised in church. Who never invited me in my hometown. Not one time to church. Amen. Not one time. I grew up with all these kids. And I mean I wasn't ugly or unpopular. I, but nobody ever invited me to church. I love them all. I pray for them now because some of them still don't know the Lord. That we're always attending church. That's why I tell people, don't think you got in here too late. You, st- you agree with God, start right now. And watch what you can do with the rest of your life. More than you ever did with the first several decades. What was I talking about? <laughs> You're a child of God. And all the things of God are yours. Everything He has. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you. You see? You're an heir of God. A co-heir with Christ. And that's not just for now and this life. But for all eternity. And vice versa. It's not just for all eternity. It's for now. Don't think you have to wait till you get to heaven. To realize the benefits of your salvation. God wants you to enjoy it in the here and now and now. He's good. And I just want to finish by telling you, be, be quick to hear. Once you cultivate this hearing, and don't, and don't stop pursuing God about hearing His voice until you, until you get to a place. Don't think He's just going to start sending you a, a CD of a tape-recorded message every day. You're not, it's not an audible thing. It's, I am learning more and more about His voice every day. And he talks in ways where you, just, you have an unction, the Bible says, a knowing from the Holy Ghost. And you know, you know I, 
I, who was I telling that last week something happened with the Lord? I, I think it was telling Messiah. And I said, Lord, you're messing with me, aren't you? You haven't followed me today. And, and, and I knew he was, whatever it was. And I'm still trying to remember what it was. But we were having fun that day. But be quick to hear and obey his voice. Because he's not telling you to, to be a taskmaster he's telling you need to be obedient and be obedient quickly because he's he's trying to bless you he's trying to help you not hurt you not take anything from you he don't need your stuff but when he asks something of you give it quickly be like peter oh in that case i'll wash your feet let me wash everything Ask Him to help you in cultivating that hearing and to always hear Him clearly. And, but be careful what and who you do listen to. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. And this is a fact. That means, it doesn't mean just who you hang around with. It means whatever goes in these gates, the eye and the ear gates, is all seed, you see. And it's going to bring a harvest. So just be careful about that. And do yourself a favor and decide to always let God do the choosing for you. Let God decide. Let Him do the choosing for you in your life regarding everything. Learn to start talking to Him about all of your decisions, all of your thought processes. Consult Him about it because He cares and He wants to share. He wants to help you. You know, I told Him recently, I just told Him yesterday, I think. (laughs) You pick. And He said, what? I said, everything. I was thinking about some stuff, you know, you get older, do we stay in this house, do we go to a single story, yeah, the value of your house went up, but so did everything, the cost of everything else did too, you know, you want to do this, you want to do that, you want to do this, what you watch, and I said, Lord, you pick, you pick everything to do with me, I give you total autonomy, you just whatever, I want what you want. I want your desires to be minded. I put your desires in my heart and in Tavana's heart. And let us agree together with you. And you just pick everything. John 3.27 says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. What, what that means is they say, Well, I see a lot of people. Hey, man, they're not living for God. And man, they got this and that. And they're doing great. Don't be so sure. A lot of that is very temporary. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Hey, that last part, folks, I've had it both ways. Listen, a life without the sorrow that comes from just grabbing and getting what you want, when you want, how you want, that never ends well, folks. Let God do it. Let God bring promotion. Let God give you what He wants you to have. He knows you better. He can see further. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you need before you ask. He's good. All you have to say is, I know that and I trust you. You got this, God. And He loves that. That's faith response. God gives His best 
to those who leave the choice to Him. We need to live a life of humility toward God. Remember, His plan is bigger, slower, scarier, harder, sometimes more obscure, unclear, but way better than the plan that we have for ourselves. And if you're still still doing what you decide is the best thing for you, and it, it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it doesn't line up with your church leaders, it doesn't line up with godly counsel, just, just stop it. Just stop stop it, repent, and, and just tell the Lord that you want to lay down your rebellion and, and your self-will and do things His way. That's all you got to do. That's repenting. Just say, Lord, I've changed my mind. I don't want to handle my life. <laughs> I want you to. And I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to read this one last scripture to you. Going into this holiday season. It's kind of twofold. Two-sided coin here. It goes with just what I was saying. And then there's another side to it. Romans 14 verses 7 and 8. says, For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now that's beautiful. If you believe it and you receive it and you walk in and you implement it and you become that. You, you just know that. And you want that. You have to want it. He doesn't want to be where he's not wanted. <laughs> he wants to be there, but he's not going to be there uninvited. But just know that. And going into this holiday season, and, and, and I love the fact that we're, we just can go into a lot of detail today, but we're helping, we're, we're finding lots of new creative ways to help people. We're, we're helping with uh, TGs, which is Traffic Girls. We, we know we're in a hub of this nation for helping uh, for, for, for that for the, this sex trafficking and all that nonsense. And we want to help in that because we're in an area that is a big part of the problem. And we're helping with food and we're helping with the homeless and we're helping with all those things. And I don't want you to become a human doings. I want you to be human beings. I want you to just be a child of God and know that you're loved of God and it will compel you to do all those other things. But we always want to be making an impact but going into the holiday season, there's so many lonely people. That's a big thing. Loneliness is awful. Loneliness is a terrible, terrible thing. But once you receive Jesus in your life, you never need to be lonely again. For all eternity. Jesus is stronger than death and time. Death has lost its sting with Jesus. We are His and He is ours. So never be afraid to commit all that you have and all that you are to Him. You'll never regret it for all eternity. Amen?
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and all of your blessings. Thank you for your peace and your truth and your promises and provision. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood and your sacrifice for the atonement of the cross and everything that it means. Thank you that you live today and that you are with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. Everything you have is ours. We are. Everything we have is yours. We are your children, the sheep of your pasture, and we just thank you for loving us so much. Help us to go and share that love with this sick and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.